Although he never speaks a word in sacred scripture, St. Joseph nevertheless shows husbands, fathers, priests, and all Christians how to live our vocations more fully. Join us today as we talk about what we can learn from the life and witness of St. Joseph with our special guest, Father Boniface Hicks, OSB, Associate Director of Spiritual Formation at St. Vincent Seminary and the host of We Are One Body Catholic Radio. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and we'll be talking about St. Joseph, the most chaste spouse of our Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm joined in our studios today by our regular panelist, Father Sean Sheridan, President of Franciscan University and also a theology professor, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization, and our special guest today, Father Boniface Hicks, a Benedictine monk here and priest. You were ordained in 2004. Uh, you completed your doctorate in computer science at Penn State and you served in campus ministry, I think, uh, there as well. Uh, you now serve as the Associate Director of Spiritual Formation at St. Vincent Seminary and you're the General Manager, Programming Manager, and on-air host of We Are One Body Catholic Radio. So welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be with you. It is, it is a joy to have you. We'll be talking about St. Joseph, um, but you, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of an interesting personal thing that I just want to ask you about. Uh, knowing that you know, Scott is a convert, Father Sean and I are cradle Catholics, but you're also a convert. Uh, but you didn't come through a Protestant church ne necessarily. Give me a little bit of your, your story, very briefly, and maybe there's some connection to St. Joseph, I don't know. <laughs> That's right. I, I've come to know about St. Joseph from nothing. I was really a poster child for the, the Enlightenment, a believer in science and self-sufficiency, and came to know through scripture and through encountering Catholics at Penn State University mm. about faith, which is far more exciting even than science and self-sufficiency. So you were an atheist? I was an atheist. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Unbelievable. Amazing. And studying I'm computer science fully in, yes. uh, That's right. in it. The science world. So, so when you when you think about coming, you came with a blank slate to Saint Joseph. You didn't have any preconceived notions one way or the other. Um, but Saint Joseph is a man who we know very little about in a certain sense. That uh, Scripture has him as being silent. Uh, he doesn't have any attributable words to him. Uh, he has many uh, actions. Um, but what what can we glean from some of the basics, uh, if you will, about the biographical sketch of Saint Joseph? Uh, from, uh, from Scripture. Yeah, at first when we look at Scripture, we think there's not much there about St. Joseph, but really there's not much there about any person in a biographical sense. Yeah. And when we start looking a little more deeply, we realize actually compared to other figures in Scripture, there's quite a bit about St. Joseph. Hmm. His relationship with Our Lady, we can start to imagine what his life was like in Nazareth. And then Scripture also drops these pregnant words like, a just man, mm -hmm. indicating a profound holiness in St. Joseph that we can start to then extrapolate what was his life like as a man who is holy, he's also a carpenter, he's living in Nazareth, we hear about his obedience, 
his openness to the Lord in dreams, mm -hmm. and of course his marriage to Our Lady, which we can imagine is uh, a, a source of profound love for her and for him. And of course, he is the one who God has entrusted his own son to. Yeah. God the Father recedes in a certain sense and places the humanity of his son into the human care of Saint Joseph to be his father. So we start to, as we start to peel away the, the layers and look a little bit deeper, we see actually there's a lot in scripture that we can discern about Saint Joseph. And not just in the Gospels, but when you look at the new in light of the old, the way that Pope Leo XIII did, you know, he points out these convergences between the other Joseph, who's also described as the son of Jacob, just as Joseph is in, in Matthew's uh, genealogy. And they're both described as a just man, and they're both most chaste. In Joseph's case back in Genesis, Pharaoh's wife chased him, as it were, <laughs> and he got away and <laughs> remained pure. Is that what chaste means? I, I don't that. think in that context. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that they both have dreams as well, and they make provisions of bread, you know, and they, and Bethlehem, of course, means the house of bread. And just as Jacob made provisions for the holy family of Israel in Egypt, so Saint Joseph makes provisions of bread, you know, and takes the holy family to safety in Egypt. And there are many more parallels, but it just shows that this is no accident, that this is a providential design. It's part of God's fatherly plan to have a figure in the old and one in the new who fulfills that. As long as you're leading us in that direction, I think also the carrying of the bones of Joseph yeah. into the Promised Land is a nice insight into the carrying of Saint Joseph into heaven yeah. and as we know him as the, the patron of a happy death and as some of the saints and even John the 23rd has promoted the assumption of Saint Joseph. That's right. And being taken up to be bodily with Our Lady in heaven. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah there's, there's so much there that we may just quickly overlook because he doesn't have that much attributed to him, but there's so much that God attributes to him mm -hmm. just by choosing him, by sending an angel, that he would listen, um, that all of those things that happen. Um, but for, for many of us, are, are there other, other gaps that get filled in uh, outside of Scripture from tradition? Because as we as, as Catholics really see the val validity of our sacred tradition as well. Wh what, what gaps are filled in, if you will, uh, by tradition on St. Joseph? Well, the Fathers of the Church do take up St. Joseph in working out some of the scriptural questions that surround him. Was his marriage with uh, Mary a legitimate marriage? Mm -hmm. Uh, why is St. Joseph listed in the genealogy as the one through whom uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus as the uh, Joseph is, yeah, coming, coming through Joseph? Why is he listed in the genealogy? Right. Uh, why is he the son of two different fathers in the genealogy? Who are these brothers and sisters of Jesus? These are all questions that the fathers of the church take up and begin to discuss. Uh, and, and open up more insights for us about St. Joseph in discerning, for example, that it is a real marriage between Mary and Joseph, and it was already a marriage when Jesus was conceived. It's not that Jesus was born out of wedlock. Right. It's the first stage of a Jewish marriage, but al already a legal reality. So Jesus is son of David through the genealogy through St. Joseph. St. Joseph's marriage to Our Lady is so important that John Paul II in his apostolic exhortation, Redemptoris Christos, says that the marriage of Joseph and Mary is as important as the virginity of Mary mm. in looking at the uh, conception, the virginal conception of Jesus. Some of those points receded a little bit in the early church because there was such an emphasis on the miraculous conception and birth of Jesus that Mary is a virgin before, during, and after that birth and to protect the theological and the understanding of Mary's virginity, the 
tradition has uh, backed off from the marriage a little bit of St. Joseph, but actually the fact that they are really married is, is very important for us. Yes, yes, yes. And then when we start to wonder, well, what's that marriage like? And what, what was the love like between them? Father Gary Goulagrange says that the beauty of the entire universe is as nothing compared to the union between Joseph and Mary. And so then we start to, to get a window into something that's so important, I think, in our own time and looking at marriage and looking at the fatherhood of St. Joseph, the way that he raised Jesus, his protection of the Holy Family, which is carried out in a different way than St. Michael, for example, who also protects the Holy Family in the book of Revelation, but through sword and shield. St. Joseph protects the Holy Family through his humility and obedience. He disappears. When the angel directs him in a dream, they disappear into Egypt. When he's directed to come back, he lives in the hiddenness of Nazareth. And we learn this beautiful quality of masculinity, which has to do with veiling what is beautiful. He is able to reverence and veil what is beautiful in Mary and Jesus, so that the people of Nazareth don't even know that the Immaculate Conception and the Incarnate Word are living in their midst. Joseph, in living this very ordinary life, in great humility, he never brags to his friends, apparently, that he's married to the Immaculate Conception <laughs> and that he has the Incarnate Word in his home, but through tremendous humility, he lives out a very ordinary life, a working man, caring for his family. As you speak about all of these wonderful qualities of St. Joseph that we've come to uh, embrace in the tradition and certainly as, as set forth in Scripture, it just brings back to me the importance of how we identify Joseph as being a man of faith. He, he couldn't do all of these things if he didn't have great love, mm. great faith in the Father who created him and the Son who came uh, to be as part of his life and to save all of us through these, the, the things that he engaged in throughout his life. Mm. But that principle of being the man of faith, the leader of the household of the Holy Family, the one who was able to make all of those sacrifices traveling back and forth to Egypt to protect the child, to protect his family, and so much of what we have and know today cries out for more men of faith like mm -hmm. St. Joseph. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. You know, the very fact that Joseph gives consent to naming Jesus in Jewish culture, that is really what fatherhood would entail and why he fits in the legal genealogy. You know, there's an interesting development, I think, in Catholic theology in the last century or more. You know, I think we always assume that Mariology was with us for 2,000 years, but Marian devotion, a great love for Our Lady was, but Mariology as a separate discipline in theology is actually a 19th century development through Shaban and through others. But it hasn't affected America so much, but the fact is devotion to St. Joseph from St. Teresa of Avila on has cultivated a branch of theology of which I know you're aware, and that is Josephology. Over in Spain and in Italy and France, there are people you would ask them, what's your specialization? I'm a Josephologist. In America, apart from Father Fios back in the 50s, really we don't have much of that. And so when I talk to my colleagues, they're like, what did you say? You know? <laughs> but it really is a rich vein that is just getting started to discover that in Scripture and tradition, both the Old and the New Testaments, but all of these things are converging so that we can discover just what, an, what, what a, not only an amazing man he is, what, but what a model he is for us as men. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. One of the things that I, I, it troubled me when I was younger, and I even heard it in some homilies, um, and I think you reference it in your article, uh, I think it was John Paul II who called them the masters of suspicion, mm. uh, that led to the idea that um, here is Joseph trying to divorce Mary, put her out, um, and not wanting to, you know, get her to shame. It, it seems so contrary to this great saint, you know, he, he was so 
saintly, so chaste, but he didn't want to have anything to do with Mary. Like there was this, this at least potential conflict. How does the church uh, and how does the traditions really respond to what, uh, you know, that conflict, if you will, or at least apparent conflict? Yeah, it's a great question. We have a lot of images of St. Joseph as, uh, as an old man, and we have a lot of images of St. Joseph in doubting what's happening with Mary. There are a couple of ways we can approach it, and uh, popes and doctors of the church, fathers of the church have approached it in essentially three ways. That uh, One is that St. Joseph believes that Mary had conceived through someone else, and that's what we often pick up. Right. Uh, Another is that St. Joseph knows exactly what's going on, and he is so humble that he it doesn't feel that he's worthy to be a part of it. That's right. And that's a strong tradition in the West. St. Bernard picks it up and says, all of the fathers testify to that. Right. And the other is that St. Joseph didn't know exactly what was going on. He supposed it was holy, and he wanted to back out not to interfere with God. John Paul II, Benedict Francis, Pope Francis, really attribute, uh, mm. apply that one. But to go back to the first question. Which of, I often hear, you know. Of the idea that Mary has conceived through someone else. The t spiritual director of St. Teresa of Avila, Geronimo Gratian, understood that in saying that Joseph was the protector of Mary and that if she had conceived, it would have only been because she had been raped. And then Joseph, feeling he had been a failure at his role, would want to back away and think that she's more, she's in better care f with her family. She'll be more protected by her own family than he could provide for. So out of shame at his own failure, he would back away from her. But I think it would be hard to find any saint or doctor or pope who would think that Joseph actually suspected Mary of adultery. Right, right. See, that's important. Right, that's beautiful. Because I think almost everybody outside of the Catholic tradition yes. takes that what we call the suspicion theory, right. that he suspected her of infidelity. And you don't find that anywhere in our tradition, even though there are Catholic biblical scholars who also just sort of take that matter-of-factly for granted. Uh, in the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible Notes, we have those three, the, the suspicion theory, but also the reverence theory, and then the perplexity that you just outlined so well. Uh, I sort of go towards Aquinas and Bernard, and that is the reverence theory, because the phraseology in Matthew, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, is awkward, not only in the English, but in the Greek. Found by whom? She wasn't found by Mary, she wasn't found by the angel, but she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit for St. Joseph. And so when the angel speaks to him, you know, the angel doesn't say, don't be so suspicious. The angel says, don't be afraid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But even before that, it's Joseph, son of David. No, well, you got the genealogy wrong, angel. No, it, that is not your legal genealogical link. That is your Davidic dynastic heritage. So you might think you're unworthy, as so many righteous men have felt, to do something so massive, so holy. But you're the son of David, not just mm -hmm. the son of Jacob. Yeah. So don't be afraid. Nothing about suspicion. So I think the reverence theory and the perplexity theory, you know, there's much greater support within the text itself along with the tradition. Yeah, yeah. To me, that, that is so beautiful to set it in kind of proper context that we oftentimes get, we misunderstand scripture. The words don't necessarily mean what we interpret in today's language. Mm -hmm. And the fathers give us some great insights to that. Um, stay with us for our next segment of Franciscan University Presents. St. Teresa of Avila gave a tremendous gift to the whole church, but in a special way to all of us Carmelites. 
in the devotion that she promoted to St. Joseph. And she actually gives three reasons why we should be devoted to St. Joseph. First of all, that he will rectify any of our petitions. So we bring a petition to God and it's not quite in line with God's will. Um, St. Joseph will rectify it um, and align it with God's will. The second reason she gives is that many of us are looking for a spiritual guide um, for our prayer life or spiritual life. And she says no one could have a better guide than St. Joseph. And the third reason she gives is that anyone who is devoted to Joseph will make great progress in the life of virtue. People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent and passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking with Father Boniface Hicks about St. Joseph. Uh, we just talked a little bit about um, kind of the, the maybe misunderstanding or suspicion theory, if you will, um, but it was about how Joseph as a just man was going to divorce her quietly. Um, but you bring up in an article about really how chastity uh, really is protecting her, uh, but also the, the idea of unveiling. Could you share a little bit more on that idea? Well, I think there's a wonderful interpretation of that passage by a Jesuit scripture scholar, Father Ignace de la Poterie, and he looks at some of the Greek words, and what we've translated in even our liturgical reading is that Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to expose her to shame, mm. and that expose her to shame is actually one word in the Greek, one verb, that can also speak of, uh, he's unwilling to unveil her, he's unwilling to expose her mystery. We can understand Joseph as having an insight, as uh, Dr. Hahn mentioned, the, the reverence theory that St. Joseph knows exactly what's going on, that this is God's plan to bring his own son into the world, that Joseph feels unworthy to be personally a part of it, but he doesn't want to expose this mystery. He understands it, but he's not going to expose it to others. Yes. And this is also a, a beautiful understanding of what he comes to understand is the importance of marriage, that he will protect her chastity, and we can go into a discussion about doing this from old age or from virtue, I would say from virtue as does the Western tradition, but that he will protect her chastity, that he will protect her mystery, not by distancing himself, but rather by drawing close to her and living out this marriage that he's already entered into, that the marriage itself provides the veil and Origen actually identifies this, that it's precisely the marriage that protects Our Lady's mystery from the devil who's looking for a virgin and is not looking for a married woman. And so this role of a husband in general really comes to light through St. Joseph's decision not to back off, which he wants to do through humility and unworthiness, but rather to draw in under obedience to the command of God and thus to protect Our Lady, to protect her mystery, which he does amazingly for 30 years. Yes. They live this entirely ordinary, entirely human existence mm. in Nazareth, and nobody knows any better until the time comes that the mystery is unveiled 
and in that way also by Our Lady at her invitation at the wedding feast at Canaan. Yeah. Pulls it's back interesting how that, that yeah. supports the saintliness of Joseph himself and right. being willing to be responsive to what God is asking of him. And, and I think when we step back so often we impose our own human values and traditions mm. and the culture of our time in yeah. trying to explain this situation, the, the suspicion theory, yeah. rather than really trying to see Joseph as the saintly man that he is. Yeah. You know, yeah. no, matter, no matter how many so times true. we say, Lord, I am not worthy, but only say the word. The fact is, you know, just and righteous men understand how unworthy they are. That's right. But once the Lord has spoken the word, then Joseph knows that he is to follow through on this. Don't be afraid, not don't be suspicious. And that, that treatment of Apoluo by De La Potteri in that book, that amazing book, Mary and the Mystery of the Covenant, uh, you cite this in your article on page 39 of that book where you know, it really is a penetrating insight into how St. Joseph, I mean, if he was suspicious, he would have brought charges against her according to the law of Moses in the book of Numbers. But if he's reverent, then he needs to have the word in order to proceed to, to overcome his own sense of unworthiness. And then there's that sense of mystery, mm. you know, and he doesn't want to kind of expose that when in fact it has been entrusted to him. He doesn't want to advertise it. He doesn't want to walk away from it once the Lord calls him to to do that, you know, and I think these reasons, you know, end up reinforcing the sense that a number of Josephologists are saying he's not simply what we would call the foster father. He really is the virginal father. Mm. Yeah. Just as she is the virginal mother, so he is a virginal husband and a virginal father. A lot like God the Father who generates a son apart from any physical you know, uh, or sexual activity. So St. Joseph really enters into the mystery of divine fatherhood by giving that word of consent from his heart, not only to the marriage, but also to the fruit of that union too, mm. that comes from the Holy Spirit. Mm. I mean, again, layer after layer after layer for it's, us to learn from. Yeah. It's deep, it's deep to see that mystery that he provides that veil for, that he provides that protection for, that this is the secret weapon of God, that he is in charge of protecting while Our, our Lady and, and and Christ is vulnerable, he's there protecting, keeping them secret, keeping it safe. Mm. You know, I just think of that, that those, those words and what, what he, as a saintly figure, really is offering for us a great model that maybe will never get noticed. You know, and, and even in scripture, there's, there's some notice, but there's not a lot uh, of tension there. And that's for so much of us as Christians, particularly for some men, you know, as we look at our lives, it's that hidden life, that simple things, that day-to-day -day things that keep that mystery safe. And that's what a beautiful image of, of a husband uh, would be for St. Joseph to his wife, to have that protection of her. That's right, I don't know, there's just something very profound and beautiful about that. You're using that word protection over and over and it's precisely the aspect of St. Joseph that Pope Francis brought out in his mm -hmm. inaugural homily. He was inaugurated as Pope on the Feast of St. Joseph. Pope Francis also carries in his coat of arms a symbol of St. Joseph, this uh, nard as a symbol of St. Joseph. Pope Francis has spoken quite a bit about St. Joseph, but he focuses specifically on that aspect of protection, mm. how we need to protect our own spiritual lives, our interior lives, as you're also speaking about, our hidden life with the Lord, as St. Joseph protects his marriage, his wife, his child. And then Pope Francis also leads us already in that inaugural homily to protecting the environment and, and having that dimension. But I, even the word protection, I think, brings back to this image of the veil, which I find to be so beautiful. Protection, a tectus is a, is a roof, and a protectus is, is a roof in front of, like a veil. And a veil is something that hides 
but also reveals. When we see a veil on a tabernacle or a veil on a chalice or a veil on a nun or a veil on a bride, if you don't know what you're looking at, you're tempted to just look away. That's what a veil does. It protects from harm those who don't know what they're looking at. But if you do know what you're looking at, it actually helps us to look through the physical reality to the supernatural, the mystical reality, and we see something even more beautiful there. We're able to see the essence of that beauty, which might not be fully revealed by the physical. Yeah. So veils lead us into that deeper insight, into that deeper understanding of what they're covering. And that's really what St. Joseph does for us in the Holy Family. Mm -hmm. Those who don't know what they're looking at, they walk right on by. So they don't desecrate, mm -hmm. they don't uh, damage the Holy Family, but those who do know what they're looking for and looking at, Joseph leads us even more deeply into that mystery. He is the one who really guards the mystery. Mm -hmm. Once again, you said something that I think wants to need, cries out to be reinforced. The idea of veiling is so often misunderstood in our culture because of other traditions that use veiling to kind of symbolize, you know, property for women are property when they're veiled. But in fact, in Judaism, that which is veiled is that which is holy, as you indicate. Yeah. You know, the temple was veiled, the bride was veiled, our tabernacles are veiled. And so it is meant to conceal and at the same time reveal that which is holy. You know, and so even the word apocalypsis literally means the unveiling. And we see the climax of the apocalypsis as the unveiling of the bride of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so when I, when I think about Joseph in relationship to Mary, I can't help but wonder if uh, we, we are called to recognize, you know, I, I'm thinking of you, Mike, and as well as me. We're, we're both entrusted with women who are much more virtuous. <laughs> that is very, very true. And, and we could sit back and just compare ourselves and say, oh, she makes me look bad. Or we could say, God, you've entrusted Kimberly to me? Yes. Wow. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I realize what a, what a sacred gift a wife is in general, but in my case specifically, in your, yes. your case as Even well. More so. yeah. yeah, and in Joseph's case, I mean, it's off the charts. That's, you right. Know? That's right. Well, and if something went wrong in the Holy Family, who's going to get blamed? That's I mean, right. I mean you, got, you got the Immaculate Virgin, you got the Son of God. Who's, who's the fault it here? It has to be St. Joseph. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Growth yeah. and humility. Well, we, you mentioned something too about the age of Saint Joseph, which is typically portrayed in my lifetime as the old Saint Joseph, the the, the older man. Um, what, where does that tradition come from, and, and are there different uh, opinions, if you will, on that? Well, Father Sean brought something out a little bit earlier about the way that we are tempted to map our own weaknesses right. mm -hmm. on the figures in the Bible, on the saints that we imagine somehow it protects the virginity of Mary that she is entrusted to a guardian who is an old widower and is beyond the capability, the capacity to lust. And so therefore we can imagine she remained a virgin her whole life more easily because she's with this old man. Which seems a little creepy to me actually <laughs> that there's this marriage between this young girl and this old man. But that's the tradition that developed, especially in the, in the Eastern Church, because there was such an emphasis, and again, a desire, a good desire to protect the virginity of Mary. Yes. In the West, under St. Jerome, first of all, and then carried on by St. Augustine, an area that they agreed on wonderfully, <laughs> the image of St. Joseph as a young man who was also a virgin and entered into this marriage, and through the greatness of his virtue, that virtue of chastity was able to reverence and protect the virginity of Mary 
in an even more beautiful way than simply an old man would who was a kind of caretaker. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And so this uh, insight, as uh, Dr. Han mentioned a little bit earlier, of the virginal fatherhood yes. of St. Joseph is, I think, a more beautiful way to say that. Even foster father carries the, the connotation of an accident. There's a foster father when something has gone wrong, when a father has been lost or is missing or has abandoned. Then a foster father, wonderfully and beautifully, but not intentionally, steps in. But there's nothing accidental about St. Joseph's fatherhood. A real fatherhood, as St. Augustine makes the distinction, in the order of grace rather than just in the order of nature, through mm -hmm. a conjugal fatherhood, not just a natural fatherhood. Yeah. And yeah. John Paul speaks of Mary's motherhood according to the Spirit. And so, likewise, St. Joseph's fatherhood is not according to the flesh, mm. but according to the spirit. And when we look at that, I think we recognize that, you know, fatherhood, even in our natural families, is not reducible to the biological. You know, the, the greatest part of fatherhood is instilling life and values and truth and love. Mm -hmm. And if that's true at the natural level, according to the flesh, how much truer is it mm -hmm. for St. Joseph as well? Yeah. Yeah. So if we look at some of the virtues, um, prudence uh, that, that comes to mind when we think of St. Joseph, um, you know, how, how when we're looking at husbands and fathers, or, you know, thinking of different um, models that St. Joseph, he's a model of virtue for us, either prudence or other virtues that you see really drawn out in the life of St. Joseph and how that might apply to husbands and fathers in particular. Well, certainly St. Joseph is a, a model of humility and obedience as we've discussed. Certainly a, a model of prudence, and prudence has a, a quality of veiling as well, to, mm -hmm. to veil the mystery, to be able to see things as they are and to choose the good in a situation. And clearly he was interested in choosing the good. His uh, righteousness, his justice is also mentioned by scripture. And so he's also obedient to the law. We see opening up in St. Joseph, and these are some of the qualities that St. John Paul II brings out in his beautiful exhortation on St. Joseph, that his interior life, his sensitivity to the mysteries, his, his prayer, and also his life as a worker. Mm. He's a, a laborer, and he understands the, the value of, uh, of labor. He has the, the virtue of industriousness. Yeah. And he's able to impart some of these things also in the, in the human level to his son. That's so true, that's so true. You know, in Joseph Pieper's treatment of prudence in his book, The Four Cardinal Virtues, he shows Aquinas and how he explains prudence prudentia as an aspect of providentia. That to be mm. providential means to provide and to be sort of aware of all of the relevant circumstances so that you're providing for all of the needs. And so St. Joseph is prudent, he's chaste, he's prayerful, right. uh, he's a protector. But I think that provision that he makes, not only for the material well-being of the Holy Family in Egypt or in Bethlehem, uh, you know, but across the board, you know, the the spiritual as well as the physical. Yeah. Uh, he's providing the role model. He is mentoring his son, you know, so who's the son of the carpenter. And even that term carpenter, tectonus, is, you know, some have suggested that you could almost translate that engineer because mm -hmm. it wasn't just woodwork. You know, Nazareth was so close to Sephoris where the massive construction project was going on mm -hmm. for decades. And so it's most likely the case that his mason skills, his woodworking, his engineering abilities were all being tapped in that kind of work as well. Yeah, yeah. The strong, silent St. Joseph, who's an industrious worker. Right. Technical. Mm -hmm. uh, stay with us for the third segment of Franciscan University Presents.
I am the coordinator of the household at Franciscan University, known as the Apprentices of St. Joseph. Next to people as, as awesome as Jesus and Mary, Joseph is, is the little guy in the Holy Family, and no one really considers the fact that, that he was chosen just as specifically by God for this task, for being part of the Holy Family, as was Mary. Why I was drawn to this household was because my father always um, you know, told me that you know, St. Joseph is the model of manhood, and if I'm ever having trouble, to turn to St. Joseph. And I really took that to heart, and once when I read that part of the covenant, um, that just, that, that struck deep within me, and there wasn't really <laughs> any other choices after that. I was, I, I wanted to become an apprentice of St. Joseph to increase spiritually and in my manhood. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. We're taping the show in our studio in Steubenville, Ohio. Um, the students are running the cameras and the equipment. Our panelists uh, are professors here at the university. Um, Father, we've been, we've been talking about St. Joseph and we've talked about a couple different layers from scripture and tradition about how he is really a model for, for Christians in general, but husbands and fathers particularly and, and kind of unveiling even the mystery of St. Joseph, if you will. Uh, but how is St. Joseph a model for priests? As a priest, what, what, what would you say to that? <laughs> the founder of uh, St. Sulpice, who inaugurated the seminary movement in response to the Council of Trent, mm -hmm. Monsignor Ollier, entrusted the seminarians at St. Sulpice to St. Joseph because he said the, the seminarians, future priests, will be like St. Joseph, involved in the virginal begetting of Christ in souls. And I think that's a beautiful perspective for us to take. Dr. Hahn mentioned the spiritual fatherhood of St. Joseph a little bit earlier, and that's what we as priests do. We don't have physical children, but we do become spiritual fathers of so many, and learning that from St. Joseph is so important. Likewise, St. Joseph had to model had fatherhood, had to teach Jesus about being a man not based on his own example so much as based on the example of God the Father. St. Joseph had to be for Jesus a model of God the Father. And that's what we're also called to do as priests. As priests, we're sinners, we're failures, we're weak, we're limited in so many ways, and yet we're entrusted with the mysteries to preach the gospel and to administer the Eucharist, the forgiveness of the sacrament of confession, really to make God the Father present to his people in a way that St. Joseph also had to do. That's mm -hmm. beautiful about the, uh, the vision of the seminary, the Sulpicians who were entrusted with so many seminaries. Because you know a seminary is not a monastery, it's not a university, it is a seminarium. It's a seedbed where men are taught to inseminate spiritually and supernaturally. Mm -hmm. And what a model for that sort of thing. You know, I was just reminded a moment ago of what we were saying uh, in a previous segment that Jerome, back in the fourth century, came against Helvidius, you know, who was questioning the perpetual virginity of Mary and positing that Joseph was an old man who, you know, and, and he debunked all of this, you know, and it's interesting as Jerome is going against Helvidius, railing as he does, you know, it's taken three and a half centuries for somebody to come up with, you know, everybody speaks against this. And in the process, you know, Jerome is also pointing out that the brothers and sisters of Jesus are as near as kinsmen, what we would call cousins, but if that's all you have, they would call, you would call them brothers and sisters. But Jerome also just goes through all of the criticisms, all of the theology, and goes right to how Mary and Joseph are a model for us. Mm. 
And I think that's something we have to remember for seminarians and priests, but also for husbands and fathers. You know, St. Francis de Sales describes the, the holy family as the earthly trinity. You know, every other family was broken from Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel on. Salvation history is a survey of wreckage in homes especially. But the holy family is where family succeeds. And it really is an, a living image of the Holy Trinity, but not just in some speculative abstract way, but in the concrete virtues. Mm. You know, and when you go down the litany of St. Joseph, you realize, wow, they're like rungs in the ladder by which we can ascend as men and overcome lusts and anger and all of these weaknesses as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and every father. Yeah, I was going to say, as priests, as religious, both of you and I are encouraged to foster a devotion to Mary the Marian devotion, which is so important to help us to live out our lives. And certainly seminarians would be encouraged to do that as well. But I don't think you can foster that devotion to Mary without considering the role that Joseph played in all mm -hmm. of her life yeah. and enabling uh, by his actions, her to be able to live out her devotion as well, her dedication, her yes. So Joseph's yes is just as important to us uh, in encouraging us to be those spiritual fathers, to embrace that humility that all of our lives are about as priests, as religious, and in responding to what God is asking of each and every one of us every day of our lives. His Marian consecration mm -hmm. was first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's right. That's Better right. than any of us. You That's know. St. Joseph was profoundly devoted to Our Lady, mm -hmm. and Our Lady also as uh, the type and figure of the Church, as the Second Vatican Council says, as the Church's perfection in heaven, mm -hmm. St. Joseph is profoundly devoted to the Church, and it's why mm -hmm. Blessed Pius IX declared him the patron of the Universal Church. Mm -hmm. We have lots of patrons for lots of different things, but St. Joseph is the only patron for the Universal Church. And there also, he's a great example for priests, and for all Christians to have a great love for the church. Mm. As Joseph loved Our Lady, we should also learn to love the church mm -hmm. with that same devotion and trust and dedication. And the root of patron is pater, you know, mm. so it really is a, mm -hmm. an exercise of his spiritual fatherhood, his paternity. Yeah, that's beautiful. We often hear of St. Joseph, and we've kind of alluded to it already, as, as the patron of happy death, you know, mm. um, is often seen with the, the, the lily or the, uh, the, the tulip, I don't know, the, the flower. Um, but what does that mean for us? Uh, wh where does that devotion spring, and, and how do we mm -hmm. kind of play into that, if you will? Uh, There's some strong devotion. Some beautiful images of St. Joseph accompanied by the Blessed Virgin Mary and Jesus at the moment of his death. She on one side and Jesus on the other side. And as Father Sean was indicating about St. Joseph and his devotion for Our Lady as a model for us, it's looking and trying to live out the example of St. Joseph that we also want to do in this regard. We want to be like St. Joseph, dying between Mary and Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he is the one whose intercession can lead us to that. St. Joseph, well, a happy death is also one of the signs of the transforming union. As we develop that union with Jesus, which pervades our whole life, that really the will of God becomes our will and we're living this out moment by moment, then death becomes not such uh, a wrenching from this life, but becomes a more natural step, yet one more step of obedience in, to the will of God. Mm. And St. Joseph, who was so obedient to the will of God, was then able to enter into death as one more step, walking from life to eternal life, stepping over the threshold, entrusting his life into the arms of God, mm -hmm. accompanied again by the presence of Jesus, by the prayers of Mary. Mm, that is beautiful. Well, we, we've, we've talked about Our Lady, and, and the devotion to Our Lady has been, um, you know, we've documented and seen evidence of it going back to the first century of the church. Um, 
when we look at uh, the devotion of St. Joseph, obviously, as you kind of alluded to before, there was obviously an emphasis on Our Lady, her Immaculate Conception, and so forth, that would really protecting um, the divinity and, and humanity of Christ. With St. Joseph, it's the devotion. Do we have evidence of when that began or, or how that kind of unfolded in the life of the church? Well, as I mentioned already, the, at the beginnings of the church, church fathers were writing about St. Joseph, and so he was certainly on their minds right. and uh, part of their discussions and reflections. The Feast of St. Joseph as a liturgical celebration really started first emerging about the end of the first millennium. That around 1000 AD, the, the mm. church, the, the feast began to spread in some different places. It wasn't until following the Council of Trent that that feast became universalized in the Missal of Pius V. And then St. Joseph seems to do well with councils. At the beginning of the First Vatican Council was when Blessed Pius IX declared him patron of the Universal Church. And then at the beginning of the Second Vatican Council, we could actually say it's the first concrete act of the Second Vatican Council, St. John XXIII added him to the Roman canon, which had not been changed in a thousand years, and placed him above all of the other saints listed in the Roman canon right after Our Lady. Mm -hmm. right, right. And so we have in St. Joseph the greatest man, oh, purely man, not man-god, right, right, right. a human person, who ever lived next to the greatest saint, Our Lady, yes. who ever lived. And that marriage then is placed uh, in front of us. And now we have, starting with Pope Benedict, whose baptismal name is Joseph, and then that process concluded under Pope Francis, the incorporation of Joseph's name and the other uh, three Eucharistic prayers as well. So mm -hmm. he's really risen in prominence. Uh, Dr. Hahn mentioned a little bit earlier that Teresa of Avila was uh, a real instrument by which she raised and rose in prominence as well. Mm. And she gives us a model of how we can turn to Joseph because she turned to him when she lost her father. Mm. And she had such a love for her human father. And when her human father went to God, she turned to St. Joseph to be a father for her. Mm. And I think that's a very practical takeaway for us yeah. to look to St. Joseph as a father. We live in a time where there are absentee fathers, where there, everybody's father is a sinner. Right. Everybody has a broken father in one way or another, even those of us who with wonderful fathers, as I can say I have myself, don't have a perfect father. They but St. Joseph is a, is a perfect father. And so the, wherever our own fathers left holes, big or little, St. Joseph can really fill in those holes for mm. us. Mm. He can re-father us, even in our experiences, our history, and, and also continuing in our present. Mm. So wh when you think about devotion to St. Joseph, you know, uh, too many uh, come to mind about selling your home <laughs> and what you might do with a statue of St. Joseph. Is that a illicit devotion or what would you uh, propose as more uh, uh, appropriate devotions to St. Joseph? Well, I think turning to St. Joseph as a father who provides, as Dr. Hahn mentioned yeah. earlier, that he provides for all of our needs. St. Jo Joseph did a bit of moving. I, I don't know if that's where the uh, devotion to selling one's home <laughs> through St. Joseph. He, he left by night in, right. in obedience to the angel and had to find a new home in Egypt and relocated several times. Uh, but we can really turn to him with all of our needs. That's what we see in him being the patron of the universal church. Mm -hmm. He can provide for 
anything that the church needs. Yeah. The spiritual and material needs. The uh, spiritual and material needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly in addition to all we've talked about with Joseph being a protector and a model for fatherhood and uh, being able to care for the Holy Family in a very special way, we also have Joseph as the model, the, the patron of workers as yes, well. Yes. And, and so much is developing in, in later years of a whole theology of work, looking to Joseph uh, as that perfect example of being a faithful son of the Father, but also being able to be out there in the world embracing uh, the work as a way of giving glory to God through the things that we do in the world today. Yeah. yeah, he's got a great devotion, or it elevates the dignity of work right. in a profound way, mm -hmm. uh, but gives us a model of holiness mm -hmm. in the midst yeah. of that. You know, as a supernumerary in Opus Dei, I hear a lot about St. Joseph from the writings of St. Jose Maria. Mm. But there's one teaching in particular in St. Joseph's workshop where the work of St. Joseph was excellent, but it was hidden. Nobody noticed, you know, right. and yet God did and that's enough. And so as we apply ourselves and, and are attentive to details and pursuit of excellence, it isn't for the applause of others, it really is for the pleasure of God. And I, I think St. Joseph is a great model in that respect as well. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's, there's always the, the need to separate any superstition of burying the saint. I just want to be very plain. That is, that is really superstition, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> of burying a statue. I will not affirm or deny. <laughs> <laughs> but but, my, but my two, house, two houses have sold against all odds. And I won't uh, say whether or not I did it. But as you were saying in the break, you know, St. Francis is not just for pets. St. Anthony is not just for lost things, you know. Yes. St. Joseph is not, not just, just to sell houses. You know? so much but, you know, St. Anthony, I go to him when I feel like I've lost my temper. Mm -hmm. or when I've lost my patience, or when I've lost my first love. And I think the saints are, you know, you know to provide for your family, and especially in financial crisis or in between jobs, St. Joseph understands those sorts That's of right. things in ways that aren't superstitious. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's, and, and there's beauty to that. And yeah. we need to realize that God does care about all those other details. And those saints right. are there for us to be our intercessors. And they usually help us get our mind right. Uh, and then maybe other practical things as well. But usually it's getting our heart and mind in union with uh, the Almighty. I think another very important role for St. Joseph in our time is in regard to his chastity. Yeah. He lived with mm -hmm. the most beautiful woman in the world. Yeah. Yeah. who ever existed, and he <laughs> so was true. perfectly chaste, which didn't make him cold and distant and prudent. He didn't have to be an old man. He could see her beauty and reverence her beauty and protect her beauty and not use her and not defile her and not intimidate her or threaten her. He was able to truly reverence her femininity. Mm. And so chastity is something that didn't shut down his heart, but brought it even more fully alive, which cultivated an even more intense and bright love between them. The love between virgins remained. That first love that captivates and sweeps so many off their feet could be said to be the love that was existing for their entire marriage. So St. Joseph has a lot to teach us and help us and in, intercede for us in terms yeah, of chastity. Chastity is not the, la the, the, the lack of attraction. Yeah. You know, it's this capacity to love. So St. Joseph was attracted to her, but he loved her even more because of his chastity, yeah, yeah. not less. Yeah, a virginal lover that, I mean, that, right. that just the, the full of passion, full of control, full of all of that. When you think of it, I mean, Our Lady is full of grace. Would she not be passionate and loving towards her husband, let alone her child? I mean, all of that coming through. Again, as a Father talked about earlier, just we too many times pre uh, or impose mm -hmm. our own view, our own fallen nature. But at, at our best moments, that, that probably gives us a glimpse uh, of right. what that love must have been like. Uh, uh, stay with us for the final segment of Franciscan University Presents.
As a member of the Apprentices of St. Joseph, I wear this cord um, to symbolize the seven sorrows and seven joys um, of St. Joseph as he was protecting the Holy Family and as he was helping them throughout their lives. And it also symbolizes my own seven sorrows and seven joys um, as I went through my own intent process to become a member and also throughout my life. I do a daily devotion prayer to St. Joseph and in the prayer I ask him uh, while he's holding baby Jesus to press him in my name and ask him to return to kiss when I draw my dying breath. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome to the final segment of Franciscan University Presents, where we've been talking about St. Joseph. Um, Father Sean, could you start us off? Sure. Uh, as we've been sitting here today, I've been thinking about the role of St. Joseph in my own life. And it goes all the way back to when I was a child. Much before that time, my mother actually grew up in a parish under the protection of St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. And as a child, she was so much fostered in that devotion and love for St. Joseph. She was actually married in that same church. Uh, to my father by a Benedictine monk. Uh, it's coincidentally, and what it says about me being a Franciscan rather than a, <laughs> a Benedictine. But as a child, that devotion continued in my home to be fostered amongst our, uh, my older brothers and sisters and myself. The statue of St. Joseph, the, the picture of St. Joseph mm. uh, with the Holy Family, certainly. And, and it was a very important part of the spirituality that I had growing up. Uh, and then when I was uh, being uh, formed to be a priest, uh, a religious, my first parish assignment was actually in a church under the protection again of St. Mm -hmm. Joseph, a different one. So St. Joseph keeps coming up in my own life and really trying to help me to understand and appreciate, as we've talked about today, the various different roles that St. Joseph has in the life of a priest, the life of every person who is a Christian, who is a follower uh, of his foster son, of, of Jesus himself, and the need that we have to continue to emulate St. Joseph, to look to him uh, as one who is an example for us, but also one who continues to lead others closer to Christ uh, through our own actions, through our own humility, through our own willingness to be obedient to whatever is asked of us. All of those things we don't do for ourselves, but we do that to draw ourselves, but also others closer to Christ. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing that we need to continue to foster amongst ourselves and all those people that God sends into our lives. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Scott. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm in the middle of a novena to St. Joseph, but not just for nine days. It became a 54-day novena, and I think <laughs> it's about 200 days now. I just keep recycling this because I have all of the concerns that I have personally and privately but I entrust as a father and as a father-in-law and as a grandfather and as a godfather, all of my kids, all of my in-laws, all of our grandkids and all of our godchildren to St. Joseph every day. And since that time, so many graces 
I mean, there's a conspicuous before and after picture that heaven sees that no one else, you know, can see. But it reminds me too of in the late 90s when my oldest son had reached the mid-teens and uh, we had a crisis in our family. I mean, it was between him and mom, but it was even between him and me and we had always been close. And then communication breakdown, just shut down altogether. And I could tell he was mad at me for various and sundry reasons. And then uh, he went to pick me up at the airport right after uh, he'd gotten his driver's license. And uh, we got to talking. And in that drive home, I, I shared with him the kind of thing that he needed to hear me say. And then suddenly he got quiet, which is not typical for Han Males. <laughs> <laughs> he just uh, said, you know, it was so bad, Dad. You, you, I'm like, I know. No, you don't, you know. And he, he mentioned that. Uh, about a week and a half before, it had gotten so hard for him. He was so ticked off at me that he went to confession. I'm like, well, thank God you knew what to do. That's not the point, Dad. You know, the priest tried to assure me that you love me, that you respect me. Well, I do. I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the love, you know. So he asked me for penance if I would do a novena. I'm sure you've done novenas before. He said, no, my parents do. I'm not. So he gave me a novena to St. Joseph to pray for you especially, you know. I'm like, well, that's beautiful. And he said, that's not the point, Dad. He pulled it out. Today's the ninth day. Wow. You know? wow. And the reconciliation that we experienced that evening has, I mean, we've had, we've had issues, but we've never looked back. I mean, uh, it just fostered a friendship of father and son that we still share more deeply. And I blame St. Joseph <laughs> and that novena. And I just say, keep recycling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is great. That's great. Father? We've done a lot of discussing about St. Joseph and theological perspectives, and these theological statements I think are very important that we can say St. Joseph is the greatest saint next to Our Lady, that he's tender, that he's understanding, that he's a great father, that he's a great husband. Those things are important for us to understand and thrash out some of the theological territory, but then it's so important for us to take that into our prayer and to come to know St. Joseph personally. Mm. And that's been a great transformation in my own life coming from nothing into the church, I first of all had to develop a devotion to Our Lady. I remember praying very explicitly as I was coming into the church, Mary, I know that you're really important for Catholics and I don't really know you. Can you help me to know you? Wow. Nine months later, I was making the 33-day de Montfort consecration. <laughs> she answers those prayers. And I had a similar experience with St. Joseph. Actually, while I was making my diaconate retreat, I was praying in a chapel where there was a statue of St. Joseph holding the, the child Jesus, and I realized, I don't really know you, St. Joseph. And so mm. I began praying at that time. It worked for Our Lady. I figured it probably would work for St. Joseph. Just asking him, St. Joseph, can you help me to know you? I want to know you more. Mm. And thus began, uh, began a process that I started meeting people and receiving different graces and insights and reading more texts. Mm. Actually had a nice conversation with Dr. Hahn at that time, and he, he's the one that told me about Josephology, as a matter of fact, and <laughs> gave me an impetus to look into those things. But I think that would be a good takeaway for our listeners, as, our, our viewers as well, is just to ask St. Joseph to have a deeper relationship with him. Mm. One of the things that I like about that proposed doctrine of St. Joseph's bodily presence in heaven is that he does have a body. Yeah. And so he's also one that can hold us. We can bring him into our past hurts. We can look to him for his fatherhood. We can ask him to teach us a deeper reverence for femininity. We can ask him to teach us how to care better for our own families. St. Joseph has so much to teach us and to form in us if we're willing to develop a, 
a more personal relationship with him. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you, Father. Um, if you've enjoyed today's program, we have a uh, handout for you uh, that Father Boniface wrote here. Uh, Blessed be St. Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Uh, you can get this at faithandreason.com or just for asking, uh, we'll send it off to you. Um, as we look at St. Joseph, I, I first, I just want to call out to the men um, and challenge you as husbands, as fathers, as grandfathers um, to look to St. Joseph. Um, and, and the first virtue in my mind that comes up is his humility. Uh, maybe you feel weak, maybe you feel inept, maybe you feel like I do, that my wife is, has so many more great gifts and talents and even holiness uh, than I. Um, but take that humility and recognize it. Um, and recognize that uh, St. Joseph, like the centurion, said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Um, and in that humility, recognize that you aren't worthy, um, but to embrace that and to recognize that you're not worthy of your wife or your child. You're not worthy of these great gifts. Um, but St. Joseph wasn't either. In his weakness, in his um, apparent you know, fragility, he turned to God. And the second uh, virtue that I think he had that we need to instill uh, is confidence in the, the Almighty. Um, he knew his weakness better than maybe we fully understand ours, because I believe he had a special grace uh, to understand his own weakness, and he relied on God. The moment the angel spoke, he went. Uh, he followed because he knew God's, God's uh, grace was greater than any of his weaknesses. And so if we start with that, as all Christians, start with that sense of humility, that, Lord, I'm not worthy. But then fall right on the great confidence in God because he can do all things in us. Um, and that, those two great gifts, St. Joseph will lead you on your path. Well, I want to invite you right now to join Franciscan University's mission, which is educating and evangelizing and sending forth joyful disciples. Could you join us here on our campus, maybe to get an education and a degree, maybe through our online program. Maybe it's coming to one of our dynamic summer conferences or joining us on our pilgrimages to holy shrines around the world and visit the home of St. Joseph. Um, whatever it might be, or go into Faith and Reason and be in, equipped for the new evangelization great videos and talks at faithandreason.com that you can listen and grow deeper in your faith and be more equipped to share the good news with your friends and neighbors. And Father Boniface, could you close us with your blessing? Through the intercession of Our Lady and St. Joseph, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381, or call 740 283-6357.